tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount. And uh, in today's episode, we're talking about chapters six, seven, eight, and nine. So chapter six, we're introduced to a new POV, Lucy, in three very sad sentences. Chapter 7, we're back in Simon's brain, and he wakes up to the motherfucking mage in his room, dressed in Renfair cosplay, trying to convince Simon to leave school. Our boy is not having this. After a sort of aborted magical fight, where Simon almost loses control, the mage gives in and leaves his room. Simon goes back to sleep. Uh, Chapter 8, back to Lucy's POV. She is somewhere chapter nine back to little tender dove simon he wakes up again this time to penny in his room he does not tell her yet about what the mage says but muses on his anti-vampire cross necklace from agatha and some of his feelings about agatha holding baz's hand in the forest and a little bit on their relationship in general at lunch, Simon does tell Penny the lowdown from the mage, but in the middle of their discussion, a fucking ghost of one of the students' grandma appears because these things just happen every 20 years. Like like it does. Like, yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, Simon, you know, having grown up amongst muggles, has no idea about this, um, but the ghost can come back if they have something important they want to tell someone, and whatever they say is true things. So... <clears throat> you know, just throwing it out there that this is something that can happen. Yes. All right. And before we enter our first section, just a reminder about spoilers. We are spoiling this book. If you haven't finished the book, finish the book. We are going to spoil some very important things now. Uh, we won't be spoiling anything from Wayward Son or the book that comes after it once that's out. But anything in Carry On is fair game. We're not going to limit how like deep and interesting our conversations could be by trying not to spoil things. So read the whole book, then come back and read the chapters that we're talking about each week. Yeah, and what we're we discussing about in this, ep- in this episode isn't like a small spoiler. It's one of the big reveals of the, of the book, yeah. of, this, of this specific book. So if you like surprises, definitely just come back to us. Yeah. If you don't care, or if you're just going to read it anyway, definitely. I have a hard time believing that anyone who's reading this for the first time has the self-control to only read, like, 20 pages every two weeks. Like, this is a book that you start reading and then you, like, don't sleep until you finish reading (laughs) it. So... Uh, one last note, you guys. If my audio sounds a little strange, my microphone has not arrived in the mail yet, so I am using my headphone mic. So sorry about that. Hope it won't bother you too much. Yeah, Jesse's mic broke. Anyway, so we're just going to enter. Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't belong somewhere else. Like the fact that the mage is afraid of vampires, which means he won't go near Baz's bed. I don't understand the connection between those two things. I'm assuming there's another reason he just didn't want to get anywhere near another student's bed. And Simon's like, it's because of the vampire thing. It's like, because this is still an unconfirmed suspicion that he has. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, unconfirmed, but I mean, oh, wow, we're going to spoil like lots of things. The mage definitely knows that Baz is a vampire because it's the mage's fault that Baz is a vampire. Yeah, you're right. 
Totally, totally forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so many spoilers are going to be like, oh, I forgot that happened. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So the only thing that I can think is that, like, obviously Baz has, like, enhanced sense of smell because he's a vampire. So maybe the mage just doesn't want Baz being, like, the Why mage the fuck was in my bed. Our... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Which is probably a good question to ask anyway, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> super fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's next? Um, I just wanted to point out that Simon was like, I can totally get a hold of the mage. I have his, like, cell phone number. Or I could send him a bird. And I just, like, have LOL and owl. It's, like, it's very dumb. But I'm also just, like, amused to be like, I sent you this text message, but also here is this magical carrier pigeon coming to... I mean, I don't know. It's just, like, where are these birds coming from? So it's... It's a while before we actually see it in use, but the spell that they use is a little bird told me. And so you can send messages with any small bird using that spell, which is so great. It is very great. I feel like when we get to that part, I have some, I put in some troubling kind of, I like actual just wild birds because I'm like, that's some troubling kind con- Sometimes tiny birds just migrating. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to get into <laughs> The ethics of sending messages with small birds. Listen, they're tiny. They have to eat a lot. Anyway. All right. We need to talk about the mage's appearance, unless we're going to talk about that in Silhouette. Oh, I definitely have about his fucking John Waters mustache. Me too. That's exactly <laughs> my <laughs> <laughs> okay listen incredible queer people who are listening right now if you do not know who john waters is i need you to a immediately google a photo of him right now and b fix your go, life <laughs> you need to go read about him maybe go watch uh you know one of his movies don't please don't start with pink flamingos <laughs> Probably not Pink Flamingos, even though I loved Pink Flamingos uh, when I first saw it. But I was also in college and very drunk. You've probably seen Hairspray. Maybe go watch Cry Baby or Serial Mom or... Cecil B. Demented. Cecil B. Demented is a very... That is a good movie. That movie was so That weird. was my first John Waters movie. I... I I felt like it was a good intro, but also I was 14. So that was like very like up my alley at that point. Um, so, and this is because I'm very old. I saw Serial Mom in the theaters when I was definitely should not have been going to the movie theater with some, like, a parent of a friend of me and my sister's. Like, we go to the movies together, mm-hmm. and they didn't care if we were watching already movies. So I definitely saw Serial Mom when I was, like, eight. I've never <laughs> seen Serial Mom. I should fix that. It is so good, and I think it probably informs a lot of my love of true crime and serial killers to be perfectly honest anyway go john waters is cool you should know who he is as a queer person that's all definitely uh okay so the mage has a john waters mustache also why does the mage have a john and this like does not fit with any of the rest of his look so i'm like what do you just have like a villain's mustache is that what this is it's such a great question it's such a weird thing to do I don't, I don't know, but so the rest, the rest of his aesthetic, you called it run fest for sure. Like he dresses like fucking Robin Hood or Peter Pan or a crossover between the two. Yeah, I have a militant Robin Hood because it's definitely like <laughs> you want people to know that you're a hard bro, but you're also look like you're, he's like, you have a tooled belt and like you're wearing leggings in a tunic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's also dressed a little bit like Link. I know. <laughs> I was going to say that too. And I was like, how frequently can we talk about Zelda on this podcast? Uh, I should change our intro to two queer IRL nerds. <laughs> Did you want to know more about our love of John Waters and Zelda video games? You came to the right place. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Gosh, all right. Ooh, can we use that really quick to just tie? I'm like crying. 
<laughs> tie into the more like the additional info that we get here about uh penny's mom who i just love more every time we learn about her that was literally my other thing is this like oh penny's mom hates the mage good for her she is clearly a classy lady technology curse alert uh, for those of you who don't listen to our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, this is your first introduction to our technology curse alert, which is what we play when one or both of our internets stop working because we have a technology curse. So welcome us back. And okay, so then my last easy come easy go is just that I love that we get this Batman reference uh i just love that we that this book is like rooted in our world in that way and things like them talking about batman give us that like that sense that we can be sort of participants in what's going on because like they're living in the same world that that we're living in what i also really like about that is so sometimes you'll, you'll read books or watch a thing where the characters aren't aware that they're in a fantasy story, so they can't call out things like what Penny does, which is like a ninja, like Batman, like what, what are you going to go do to a mountain somewhere? Like just be by yourself. And just sort of being aware of like how kind of ridiculous that is, because say when you see it in Batman, you're like, what the fuck, bro? Yeah. So... I just and I always love that when someone is like, I read the story. This is ridiculous. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Why, why would you do that? That's not going to work. Yeah. No. Right. Good call. I see a little silhouette of a man. Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character profile-y type stuff. We dig into things that we learn about characters that don't belong in other sections of the podcast. <sighs> Briefly, we meet Lucy here, uh, who is, I would argue, the second most tragic character in this book. It's closely following Simon. Maybe more tragic than Simon. Maybe equal. I mean, I guess it's is there anything worse than a dead mom trope? Dead mom who was essentially murdered by the living abusive dad. Maybe that's sadder than the dead mom trope. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, but I mean, we'll get more into Lucy as we as we go. But I felt like it would be weird to like meet her and then not reference the fact that we had met her. Yeah, no, same. Cool. Who do you want to talk about? Uh, I have a little bit about more about the mage. Yeah. Who we meet in the flesh in this chapter when he is creepily waking Simon up in his bedroom at night, which I do not like. But we get a description of his uniform, quote unquote, or his costume, which, as we discussed earlier, is very Peter Pan Renaissance. It's fair, but if you're an angry dude. Yeah. Also, please explain to me what the fuck canvas leggings are. Are those just... I'm just imagining a very fitted pair of, like, Carhartt pants. Because I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't think you can get... Okay, like, look. Canvas to do that. In ye olden times. You know, in, like, Robin Hood movies and whatever, they're always, like, just wearing tights. But let me tell you, nylon was not a thing in that time period so the mage is wearing whatever pants tights they were actually wearing i don't know what that means wouldn't they be wool though and not totally maybe simon just doesn't know what he's talking about that's fair it though it does amuse me to imagine the mage in a pair just like really fitted car hearts so i'm gonna continue to do that (laughs) that's fair Um, but we also get a bit about how he is breaking tradition with how the headmasters usually look, mm-hmm. which is like 
professors when they're at graduation yeah, which is i'm imagining so, like, <laughs> it's kind of funny that penny's mom is like oh the mage wears a costume everyone else used to wear like <laughs> robes and mortarboards <laughs> like how is that not a costume that's a ridiculous thing to walk around in all the time i mean i think it's on par with the ridiculousness of the school uniform and their boater hats true everything's just very silly at wofford Except for the mage who's so serious and he has so much man pain because he can't live a normal life. And it's like, bro, you did this to yourself. Also to Lucy and Simon. He's so whiny. He's like so like no one appreciates how much I give up to help do all the things I don't even ever sit down because I'm too busy and special. Tiny violin, you know? Maybe like the jerk-off motion. I don't know. I've, I've, I felt the jerk-off motion is pretty appropriate. Also, you can't sit down because canvas doesn't have much give to it. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're fitted to your legs, you're having a real hard time sitting down. He's wearing like skinny jeans like uh, fucking Olivia Newton-John at the end of Grease that he has to be, like, sewn into every morning. He definitely has a magical spell to put them on. Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't God. know what that spell would be, but it is amusing for me to think about. Is there a common saying about pants? One leg at a time? I don't know. Or whatever they say about putting your pants on one leg. Anyway. Yeah, I think. Let us know. Yeah, yeah, email us. at gmail.com. What spell is the mage using to sew himself into his pants? <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah, I feel zero sympathy for him because what a douche canoe. Yeah. I called him a whiny man, baby. <sighs> yeah, he's real. Mm, piece of work, as they say. <sighs> All right. So, couple different things about simon i think first i want to talk about his relationship to quote-unquote having people in his life he lists these like close people most of whom are grown-ups and so it's the maid so penny and agatha and then the mage one of his teachers his girlfriend's dad and ebb who like is legitimately his friend. I don't know what this says about Simon, that, like, Reese and Gareth are just friendly people, and they, like, live next door to him in his dorm. And, like, Miss Possibelf and Agatha's dad are, like, close people. Okay, I can actually shine some light on this. Mm -hmm. As someone who definitely in high school had more... was talked more to the teachers than I did the other students. Okay. I feel like part of it is the level of the validation and attention I'm sure adults are giving Simon, and especially with these adults, more positively than whatever bullshit the mage is giving him mm -hmm. or has been giving him. And I feel like the other thing might be maybe it's hard for simon to connect with the other other students like he mm. simon didn't grow up with magic he has this whole prophecy destiny thing going on it's clearly very dangerous to hang out with him right and and i feel like simon lists like how he likes having acquaintances because it's probably really nice for him to have at least people who aren't trying to actively harm him in his life and to kind of at least give the feeling of like all right you know he here are some people who we can play football together with mm -hmm. you know and i can pretend like i'm a normal you know just a normal magical student here right not capital n normal yeah 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 no that makes sense to me so then let's talk about simon and agatha let's <laughs> Who, he asks, when Penny says the Agatha's back. This is why no one should ever date teenage boys. <laughs> what? I mean, if you're a teenager, if you're not, I'm not saying like, I mean, 
adults shouldn't date teenagers. No, that's I I understood that you meant that, but like, how is this indicative of why? No one should date teenage boys. It's just like you clearly, like it's it's over. The relationship is over, and Simon. I mean, he's with her because of this. Like, I mean, he even says it. He looks at this picture of her, and he looks like who he's quote unquote supposed to be. Everything about his reasoning for being with Agatha is not rooted in anything like romantic or sexual i mean the normal reasons that one is in a monogamous relationship with someone it's about his ideas of like how he's supposed to be in the world and then this thing where i wrote he wants to be her not do her like (laughs) his whole thing about like why he's drawn to her is that like she seems insulated from the world and he wants that he wants to feel that way but he says he wanted her before they got together but it's like you didn't want her you wanted what she has like how you perceive her moving through the world right and the best way for him to access that would be to date her right so that's interesting it's i mean very sad for a number of reasons And I'm and I'm not making light. Uh, I don't want to make light of Simon's queer confusion here. Right. And that's, and I'm I'm just laughing because it's just. I mean, we've all been there, or not? We've all been there, but like, I feel this is a very understandable feeling to be like, don't. I wasn't actually attracted to you. I think I was just trying to fill a void in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's that's exactly what's going on here. So. Yeah. That's all I have about Simon. I mean, yeah, that was just kind of my whole point, too, is just his... Like, this isn't a, rela- a r- romantic relationship. That's all. No, it's totally not. Penny? Penny. You go first. So we talked a little bit about Simon's feeling about wanting people around him. I just also wanted to point out Penny's thought about, like, oh, well, you know, I have, like, three friends. This is great. This is fun. Yeah. Like, I guess it's just amusing to me because I'm like, I don't, I mean, I do understand, but I don't know. I guess I like being friendly with people and like also talking to slash hanging out with people who are just like acquaintances. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm not really necessarily in like Penny's mind frame. Like, no, I'm good. I have my dance list is all filled up. I'm good on my friends. So let's talk about this. We're going to talk about (laughs) astrology now. So Penny's chart is some combination of Virgo and Scorpio. Which that makes sense. Right? So new listeners, Jesse's girlfriend is also my best friend since we were 12 uh, and is a Virgo. I have both my moon and my rising in Scorpio. If you look at I mean, I think Nicole even said to me recently, like, the tenacity of our friendship, the reason that we're still friends 20 years later, is that both of us mostly hate everyone. And, like, it takes too much work to know people and, like, spend time on people. And also, I feel like we see this, like, obviously, Penny has a lot of Virgo traits in terms of the way that she, like, orchestrates her life and her attitude towards learning and stuff like that but she's also like super judgmental and super like secretive and much more cold in the way that she turns people away than I feel like would be a Virgo tendency I don't know if it's Virgo sun Scorpio moon or like Scorpio sun Virgo moon or like the rising or whatever I don't have a sense of where how I think that falls but I do think that her like big three chart is some combination of those two signs. That definitely makes sense to me. Having known both you and Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the fact that she's like, oh, I don't like have room or time for like multiple friends, but also the fact that she's like so uninterested in sharing Simon. She's like, oh, you said hi to those people. I'm physically placing myself between you and them <laughs> so that you can't even look at them because I am talking to you. 
I'm like such a power move, it, really. Right? It's so that's great. like that's right, Penny. Take up fucking space. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... And that is like big Scorpio energy to be like, what the fuck do you mean you have other friends? Like, what are you talking about? Uh, that's really funny. Yeah. Oh man. Um, also the fierce eye contact thing. I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's a lot of Scorpio going on right now. What do you think about her argument about like why he doesn't need to leave Watford, which is a very weak argument. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I honestly feel like her, do you think her argument, which is kind of weak is just so she maybe doesn't have to like lay out her feelings in the matter of why this is a terrible idea honestly i think it's she's like i don't want that therefore it's not the right solution like that i think that's like penny's general attitude (laughs) this is actually on my list of why she's (laughs) yeah that is a very virgo trait so yeah and so and she's like i actually don't even care enough to come up with so if if pushed i think that she absolutely could come up with an argument that she could argue for well enough that other people would buy it even though it wouldn't actually have any basis in reality but she knows that she doesn't have to so she's just like no i'm alive i'm with you all the time so is baz we're all it's fine you should stay here no one's in danger right and it's a good thing that simon also literally does not fucking want to leave watford yeah yeah she doesn't really feel any pressure to perform Mm -hmm. any sort of like meaningful all simon wants is for her to say no i don't think you should leave watford and she's like i will gladly provide that for you Mm -hmm. and she does Mm -hmm. which is great because he's not leaving right um do you have anything else about her Mm -mm. okay so i don't know that this necessarily belongs here but it doesn't belong anywhere else either so Penny makes a reference to her family either being Hindu or, like, having that as part of their, like, you know, family culture in in some way, which partly is just, like, I really appreciate that being here. I want to point out that it's literally that easy to include cultural diversity in your books is to have a character make a Rakshasa reference you know it's it's best if it is a recurring thing it is a recurring thing in this book it comes up at least one more time so i'm really glad that it's there but i also wanted to say that i think it's really cool and makes a lot of sense that magical families would still have traditions rooted in things like hinduism despite the fact that we learn later no one in this world not even like is christian but like knows anything about christianity even though there are spells that are rooted in the bible like people who don't grow up or who grow up in this community like christianity is nowhere to be found and i think this is on my mind because we actually just talked about it for a patreon thing that we made but to have polytheistic religions where magic is a part of the mythos around that religion it makes sense to me that that would still be part of like what these magical people who are so far removed from like monotheistic religions would still be actively like talking about or practicing in some way yeah i also feel like that makes sense because language is such a huge part of culture Mm -hmm. and since and since the magic in this world like the foundation of it is so rooted in the power behind language especially in the way that non-magical people use it like it makes sense to me that if you're penny's family even though you're magical and mostly removed from a lot of the like religion aspects and the non-magical aspects of you know your culture that you're still in it yeah totally Welcome 
to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. My only thing is really just a continuation of the conversation you just had, because there's a line about Penny being angry that Watford dropped linguistics under the mage's term as headmaster, which I am angry about, because if your magical system is so deeply based in language like languages and how people use language and the way that you know how i'm assuming the commonality you know common words and phrases come to become powerful enough to be magic words that not teaching linguistics is really terrible (laughs) like like what yeah what are you doing this is a great question they do still have a class called Magic Words. What is, what do you think the linguistics program was? If I had to guess, I would suppose that linguistics is, I mean, kind of like, I guess, real life linguistics, like a little bit history, a little bit sociology, a little bit kind of like, you know, here's where this stuff comes from. And Probably and probably I don't know some magical theory because mm. how do you create like like how are new spells created or found you know like how are you getting like new magical spells into your world mm-hmm. into this world yeah that makes sense and I mean also Penny is a nerd I'm sure just full of other nerds who are like yes tell me all about the genus of this and those nerds are angry yeah totally <laughs> that they can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, don't you wish that we had a uh, appendix or something where we could see Penny's strongly worded letter? Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> oh man. If any of you have read like a fanfic where we get to see Penny's strongly worded letter, please email it to us. I feel like I have not dipped much into well, I haven't dipped much into the fan fiction of Carry On because I still haven't read Wayward Son. I don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> so that's like the only fanfic that i've dipped into is carry on fanfic pre you know like what could have been after the end of this book uh but honestly the fics that i've read are mostly just porn so i mean like what's the point of other fanfic i don't care i just want to hear about what simon and baz are up to no i mean this this is i mean that's part of the whole reason people write fan fiction all right i want to i want to talk about the mage okay so first off he comes into simon's room at what i'm assuming is like 6 a.m and so he's intentionally coming in and having this conversation at a time when simon is super vulnerable He's disoriented because he's just woken up. He's still in his pajamas. Like, he's not... He wasn't told that he would be having this conversation. Uh, So it's right off the bat, super manipulative and awful. And very inappropriate. Yeah. And then his attitude about the goblin attack, which is just so flippant and unconcerned and then he comes in super judgmental at simon for not using a spell to defeat the goblin which fuck that i don't know i just like hate everything about it (laughs) their their whole interaction in this in that chapter was like just so uncomfortable and right it's like bro he has a magic sword and his, you know, it's his magic. Like, just fucking, fucking deal with it. And just, uh, yeah, just his whole, his whole vibe of being like, all right, cool, we just got here. Time to pack up your shit. And not even pack up your shit. Just grab a cloak and your sword. We're out. And, and, uh, I mean, this whole interaction between Simon and the Mage is fucked up. And especially since, like, a chapter later, Simon is like, you know, examining himself in the bathroom mirror and how fucking skinny he is because he hasn't been eating and it's like the mage can clearly see this if he's come across this kid in his pajamas at 6 a.m and it's like 
it's not a fucking concern for the mage and it's so infuriating yeah it is and then and and in that the next chapter too we get this line from simon that the mage isn't his father figure and here's like big fucking spoiler the mage is simon's dad literally biologically and so when we read this interaction through that lens it becomes so much more fucked up i mean he's just like the nightmare version of what he could and should be for this kid i guess it's a thing where ideally he shouldn't be treating any child like this it's especially fucked up that he's treating his own child like this and that he hasn't told simon that he's his dad but totally cool to tell him at 11 that you have this giant task put upon him it's like Oh, yeah, you didn't know magic was real. Also, you are a savior. Cool. Right, which could have been so different. Even, I mean, what was I? I don't know. So it's inexcusable that, like, the mage sent fucking Simon to be brought up in, like, a normal orphanage in general. But even if he had done that, (laughs) he still could have gone to get him and been like, hey, I'm your dad. Here's all of this shit, which would have been so different than what he does and i do think it's interesting that obviously in harry potter we want dumbledore to have given harry so much more information so much sooner and then here we have the mage giving simon objectively too much information right off the bat and it it made me wonder where is the middle ground between nothing and everything that is appropriate for an 11 year old i feel like maybe what and it depends definitely on the 11 year old is maybe a very general uh sort of explanation but then also you know the tools to help this kid be able to survive doing all of this shit Mm -hmm. like hey there's kind of a prophecy about you saving everyone that's a lot right now so we're just gonna start off real small right now and i'm here to help you we're gonna do this together yeah that makes a lot of sense because it seems like what simon has gotten and what definitely what we see harry get is here's the information okay cool bye right and there isn't the support that I think if any other person (laughs) was having to tell a child that they were destined to fight an unstoppable terror that you'd be like we're we're gonna get you a whole team of people to help you and not just a team of other children right 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 and Simon doesn't even have I mean Simon obviously has a Hagrid but like his Hagrid doesn't know the information like harry's hagrid has almost as much information as dumbledore has and so can give it to him like piecemeal in ways that matter whereas eb doesn't seem to she can't she can provide emotional support but she can't provide insight or like backstory in a way that's meaningful and so simon just gets like this sort of surface level overview of everything without the necessary depth or explanation and then has no one who can expand upon that or help him process it yeah it's also important to have the context of which to process this information right of which i mean simon definitely didn't have at 11 when he was like wait this is all real still like he didn't believe it was real for another year it sounds like right so definitely not in a place to be able to absorb all of that vital information no which maybe was on purpose because the mage is the worst he's so manipulative i'm sure every single thing that he did with does with simon is so 
calculated and intentional and designed to create the Simon that he's trying to weaponize. Oh, I mean, definitely. Uh, I feel like if you were to look at an internet chart of like what the cycle of abuse in a relationship is, that the mage hits all of those marks. Totally. And you're just like, Simon, this is not a good or healthy relationship. No. This is not what being taken care of is like. No. Oh, the mage is so awful. And then I also just realized how fucking tragic it is that we see Simon repeatedly saying that he wishes that he looked like the mage, which I think probably means that he does look like the mage, but he's just, you know, when what when your mental health is fucking up what you see when you look at yourself, because he obviously, half of his genetics come from the mage. And so it's, it made me wonder what, you know, what does Simon's chin look like? How close to the mage's chin is it? And he has this jealous feeling about it. And maybe that's because he has, you know, a a lesser version of it, you know, because he's still developing or whatever. And being malnourished doesn't help when you're growing. Uh, right. So it doesn't, it's not prime opportunity to be the, have the healthiest growth if you're malnourished. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Fucking mage. <laughs> the mage, again, just the mage everywhere. We actually just talked a lot about a lot of what I had. Oh, what I do want to talk about is this very thinly veiled attempt to isolate Simon even more by literally taking him away to be alone. I would, I'm envisioning, I like, I don't think the mage would be like, oh, we'll get you a tutor. I'm like, oh, really? I don't, I don't believe that. Right. And so having Simon be like, ah, uh, no, no, I don't want to do that. And being very firm about it is, it's very great. Like, stand up to him about this bullshit. Can we talk about the Simon standing up to the mage stuff, which is in my Simon's trauma section of this section? Oh, yeah. Just so Simon can only stand up to the mage about this because he's so depleted that he doesn't have the capacity to give in, which is a really specific trauma state where sort of your, you know, those of us who have for coping skills and tend to want to make people happy with us it's really hard to advocate for yourself right I think Simon has a really hard time advocating for himself and the only reason that he can do it here is because the idea of leaving Watford is so triggering for him that he completely emotionally shuts down and can't conjure the reserves to talk to the mage about it, which would almost certainly have resulted in the mage convincing him to do what the mage wanted him to do. And is very literally expressed in Simon's magic, almost quote unquote going off. Right. So like a very physical, I mean, even more of a physical response to what's happening. I mean, I th- I think he almost, like, vaporized the mage. Is that what would have happened if he had gone off? Oh, Simon, if only you would have known just to do that, to go for <laughs> it know, do that. Like, he would have saved so much horror from happening. Whoops. Sorry, everyone. Gotta find a new headmaster and head of the mages. The, or the coven. Yeah. It would have been a very short book. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and then and then Baz decided that he needed assignment for a political marriage. The end. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Also, I don't know, I just noted just how uh, realistic the descriptions of the way that Simon's, Simon's trauma is being activated are here. Uh, the, like, physicality of the way that we get it described where he feels like he's shoved, like his head is being shoved down, something like that. The feel, The ways that we experience what he's feeling in his body and... Also, the fact that he's so, even though he's just woken up, we the first thing that we see him do is read the mage's facial and body expressions, not just surface level, but also the underlying things that he needs to watch out for, which is such a hypervigilance mood. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, this whole conversation is... He's like half awake, but he's still on hypervigilance mode. Yeah. And it ends with him basically reverting to a tiny child, just like crying and begging to be allowed to stay. Ouch. This whole book is kind of like just being stabbed in the heart. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's real alley. We've uh, we've really picked a great uh, book to talk about during this year quarantine. Look, we've uh, laughed a lot so far <laughs> this episode. We just are in the heavy sections, and we will leave them, and then we'll laugh some more. It'll be fun. That's true. <sighs> okay, what do you have next? Um, let's get into not like actual in world magical people politics. Yes, please. There's tithing involved. Tithing. Tithing. I've actually only read that word, so which I don't know why that makes me so happy, but that is part of a logistical question. Like they answered the logistical question that I would have had, which uh-huh. is how is anyone paying for any of this shit? If all of the old magical families are tithing to the coven, they can just distribute that cash ideally where right. it needs to go. It's interesting that it's called tithing and not do they also have taxes i think they might also have taxes because tithing is like a church thing right it it is often for churches i think it is also a thing that people used to do like with like kings and stuff oh i guess it is based in religion hold on oof don't want to read the the church of jesus christ explanation Oh, yeah. A tithe is one-tenth part of something paid as a contribution to a religious organization or compulsory tax to government. Okay. Several European countries impose a tax, a church tax linked to the tax system to financially support their national church. Yuck. (laughs) Don't approve. I mean, no. Yeah. Okay. So there's tithing and Wales is boycotting. Good for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure the mage is doing some bullshit with with their money anyway. Oh, man. I am really excited to talk more about the mage's uh, revolution or whatever when we get to it. I I love how fucking complicated it is. Because, like, so many of his initiatives are really good and necessary. He's such a fucking complicated character. Um... Okay, so then we have the pitches paying people to stay away from coven meetings so that they don't have quorum and can't make decisions. Very Republican of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I just kept thinking about there being like the one person who's having to like take notes at these meetings and it's like, well, we don't have a quorum because these three magicians aren't here. Guess we'll just have to keep putting off all this stuff until the next meeting. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm just, I just, it's, it amuses me to that there's also the inclusion of just like the really simple ways you can non-violently like mess things up mm-hmm. politically. Like, yeah, just pay some dudes not to go to this meeting. I guess it's refreshing because it's rooted in real life. 
Sure. I mean, it, it smacks of Lucius Malfoy, right? It's definitely a very upper class white privilege tactic to take towards politics. Just like, well, I'm just going to use my money to stop you from being able to take action. Have fun stagnating. I mean, unfortunately, very relevant. Super relevant. And all of our, all the times, really, but especially right now. Yep. Yeah. Also, there are actual duels and magical skirmishes happening, too. Just in case y'all were wondering if it was just like, well, three people didn't show up to a meeting. Nope. People have also been fighting one another. Yeah. With forbidden words, which is very interesting to think about, I think. I know this isn't it. I just imagine a lot of swearing. <laughs> Fucking die already. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's what it <laughs> No, means. it is not. It just makes me laugh. Oh, man. fantasy welcome to is this just fantasy where we talk about magic and magical stuff etc the veil yeah slash visiting yeah so we learn what lucy is doing here at the end of this chapter which is interesting yes just because we met her so long ago seemingly this is true and even if you've figured that part out you're still like okay but why for what like what is the important thing you need to say yeah and and who are you and why can't you break through the fog yeah um i do love the simon's i thought that was a myth and penny being like you'd think after seven years you would stop saying that (laughs) you can still be surprised by things Especially considering the past couple of days. It's only been two days have passed since the beginning of this book. He's gone through a lot. I mean, that's fair, but I I think Penny's right. I mean, if you learned about the veil thinning and visitings in class at this point, seven years into being like, I live in a world where these things are real, definitely shouldn't be like, oh, I thought that that was a myth. I mean, that is true. I also love that he asks if they're zombies. <laughs> He did have his hand going for his sword. And it's like, so if he asks if they're zombies, they must be pretty physically looking there. I think they are physically there. The kid hugs her nan. That's true. So not like what you imagine a ghost looking like, but. Right. No, they have, they have a solid, a solid form. It seems like the most important thing here, I think is this last line of the chapter that they're harmless unless you're afraid of the truth. Dun, dun, dun. I know, very poignant. <laughs> yeah. What kind of terrible truths might Lucy be carrying? Right. And the fact that the the mage is here being like, Simon, let me know if you see anything weird, you know, the humdrum or, <clears throat> you know, anything weird. Wait. Duh, that's the real reason he's trying to get Simon the fuck out of Watford. Holy shit, you're right. Because getting rid of Baz wasn't enough. Holy shit, you're right. Especially because Simon's like, oh man, what's going on with the humdrum? And then we just like, that actually isn't a concern right now. And it's like, what is a concern right now? I've been really busy kidnapping vampires. (laughs) And, you know, trying to make sure that no one finds out what I've been up to these past 20 years yeah so a lot of my plate there simon yeah. you you wouldn't understand <laughs> I, this also just made me wonder if the mage did some sort of spell to specifically stop lucy from being able to come back all the way i mean if he did it was definitely some like fucked up shit totally because se- otherwise people would have yeah because yeah i'm doing that yeah because penny makes it sound like yeah people just show up and sometimes you find treasure or you find out who murdered someone else yeah really a top and those are things that maybe you would want to keep a secret so right yeah whatever shady ass shit the mage is into yeah it definitely sounds like he would maybe be able to like dabble in some fucked up shit to do that too yeah 
future conversations we've been recording for a very long time. <laughs> um, what do you have next? I had a little bit about just kind of like when Simon and Penny are talking about Simon's magic is like going off and mm-hmm. and I guess I just want to say that this seems like this is kind of the point where we start to like realize even more about you know Simon treating his magic as sort of a ticking time bomb because they like talk about it's like yeah like like it going off and like him being able to tone it back being like really lucky of him even though again if he had just evaporated the mage it might have been for the best mm. Yeah, it's our first introduction to what Simon really means when he talks about how unpredictable his magic is. We saw it a little bit when his spell, his take it away spell got so enthusiastic. Uh, But this is really, okay, what does it mean when Simon goes off? It's like he might literally set his bed on fire just by being in it while this magic is sort of just seeping out of him in this really dangerous way and yeah i mean he talks about how he always smells like smoke because his magic is so presumably just so like volatile yeah it's definitely it's it's really an interesting thing that we get to see here especially the part where he's casting spells that should reduce what's going on but just the act of using magic intentionally makes it worse is also really interesting yeah okay so i think the last thing that i want to talk about briefly just so penny says you know you went off on the mage and then she says oh my word which is a very quaint and old-fashioned thing to say which is what made me notice it. And then I started thinking and was like, it makes so much sense that people in this world would say, oh my word, instead of oh my God, because words are the literal most powerful things. Oh my, oh, you're right. Right? I don't know if it was that intentional, but I feel like it was. And I just want to be like, this is really rad so many props to rainbow rowell yeah i'm just i don't i don't have anything to say about that because i'm just like that's so great yeah <laughs> just uh one of many times where i just wish that we could insert a screen cap of the face that one of us is making into the <laughs> podcast <laughs> this is relevant yeah do you have anything else here i don't i, I just had those two points Okay, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next episode, we will be reading chapters 10 through 14. If you like this podcast, make sure you check out our Harry Potter podcast, The Gaily Prophet, which is also where you can find us all over the internet. For instance, thegailyprophet.com, that's G-A-Y-L-Y. And we're on socials on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Gaily Prophet. We have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash The Gaily Prophet, where we do lots of cool stuff. Uh, We're very good at the internet. You should come follow us. It's real fun. If you like this podcast, you should definitely leave us a review, a five-star review, wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps with our self-esteem, which is great because we give you this podcast for free. It also helps convince people who come upon our podcast for the first time on iTunes to decide to listen to it. I mean, also so. that. <laughs> uh, it, helps, it helps people find us. Um, what also helps people find this podcast is if you tell your friends to listen. A lot of us have a lot of free time right now. So it's a good time to start listening to a new podcast and read some new books. Real quick, want to give a big huge thank you to ray the nerd tasha yalmi and pose like a rose for leaving us our first reviews <gasps> on itunes you're great and uh we love you cool 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 you all should uh follow behind these fine outstanding folks and leave us some reviews yeah do it if you would like to follow me on the internet individually 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Lark Malachi. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I. And you can also find me on my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. Uh, especially if you want to get a tarot reading from me, that's the place you should go. If you want to follow me on the internet, I am on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit. And I am on Instagram at Live from Detroit, all one word. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The theme music is by Kevin McLeod. All of the transitions are obviously Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And until next time, Scatamoosh! <laughs> we did it on the first try. Woohoo! Thank you.